Hi, it's Tom. G'day, Tom. How you doing? It's Adam and Adam. I know. I, are you guys really Adam and Adam, or did you just... <laughs> that's our stage names. <laughs> just, yeah, that's right. just to confuse your audience, right? Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. My name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed Tom Peters, who is the author of The Excellence Dividend and In Search of Excellence. So, well, he's he pretty much every business book we read today pretty much stands on top of the shoulders of Tom Peters. No, he pretty much kicked it off. There was Peter Drucker, and then Tom Peters is pretty much the first one who brought it more mainstream, you know, business books or management books that everyone can read, not just your fancy schmancy academic journals and things like that. Yeah, so his brain is just packed with absolute gold over his whole career, which is full of um, writing about business and and management and leadership and, and all this kind of stuff. So, and it's mate, all about people. He, he always talks about people, culture, uh, you know, big companies, small companies, individuals, whatever it is. It's all about being a good person and dealing with the people side of things, not just the, the technology or the business side of things. Yep, so there's huge disruption around on the horizon with all this automation and Tom Peters will tell us how to deal with that in his new book and in this interview. Peters? What's arguably most important to success and effectiveness is a culture, a corporate culture, organization culture, whatever you want to call it, uh, that supports your goals with customers and so on. And a culture is totally dependent on the attitudes of the people who are in the organization. I was one of my favorite quotes in the book because it seems so unlikely was is a, is from a guy who is the CEO and co-founder of a middle-sized pharmaceutical company and his wonderful one-liner i mean it's embedded in a couple of paragraphs is we only hire nice people mm. and so he interviews one of the two adams and <laughs> whichever one of you it is is a biochemist with a PhD from MIT and one of the seven smartest human beings God ever put on earth. And he's really turned on by you. And he likes you as a person. Well, what happens next is what the CEO calls running the gauntlet. You will have to interview in whatever it is, the next two hours or what have you, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 people. And they will range from the receptionist to the number two person in the finance department or whatever it is. And each of those 15 people will have veto authority. Uh, if they don't like, to use that old term, the cut of your jib as a human being, they have the ability to say no. And what the CEO says is maintaining a supportive culture is so important that I believe that one bad apple spoils the barrel. Mm. And then he says what you said when you introduced the question. He said, look. There are a lot of talented people out there, you know, sticking with that biochemist thing. Don't hire jerks. Mm. And, you know, I've used pretty primitive language sometimes in the book. And, you know, there are a lot of equivalents to that, which are, you know, not necessarily to be used in public. Don't, <laughs> you know, like just to use one of them, don't hire dickheads is yeah, what yeah. the <laughs> guy says who has a big special effects company in, in New Zealand. And, and, you know, then if you will let me ramble on, uh, 
in the airline industry, uh, the American airline industry, I really am a believer and have been for many years in Southwest Airlines. Uh, Colleen Barrett, who I believe started as a secretary and ended up as president, said, we look for listening, caring, smiling, saying thank you, and being warm. And she insists that that is absolutely positively as requisite for a mechanic or a pilot as it is for somebody who's a flight attendant or manning the front desk. And, you know, if we had hours, I could give you hours worth of examples where, you know, Southwest people just behave well and, and it makes all the difference in the world. But the, but the nice thing about it is there you go to Southwest. And that's a consumer organization, if you will. And then you go to the pharmaceutical company, was, which is you know 180, the other end of the spectrum, highly technical. And you find people saying precisely the same thing. Mm. One of the things you mentioned there that, uh, that you look for in your, your good eggs who aren't really dickheads is the value of listening. So, you know, what what actually is listening, and you know, is it just waiting for the next opportunity to talk or how can you actually listen better as an individual? Well, part of it, I think, back to where we just were, is you can hire for it. Uh, you know, I, probably all three of us have hired a fair number of people over the years and there are people who are better listeners or not so good as listeners. But what I'm arguing, I mean, one part of the answer, and I don't know how far down this road we want to go, and we can go, go down it a long way relative to various things, is there is now a ton of hard-nosed research that says women are more effective leaders than men and more effective negotiators than men, etc. And one of the reasons is that they are, in addition to being more collaborative instinctively, they are better listeners. And you can do all kinds of joke line things about who's ever heard of a guy who listens, but, you know, it's 2018, and the neuroscience tells us now that this is the case. So the case that I'm willing to spend the next two hours screaming at the top of my lungs about, which argues for gender balance for any of a number of reasons, uh, making sure that you really do have gender balance is probably uh, one significant piece of it. Another piece of it is, uh, is that it is a trainable skill. Uh, I'm a horrible interrupter. It's kind of what I do for a living in a way, and you guys may be that as well. But, uh, but fundamentally, <laughs> I, can, you can, I can get better. And then, and then there are the wonderful little things. There was, you know, this was in a Twitter exchange that, where I was talking about it, and some woman who was a manager said, well, my secret is I write with a pen listen on my on my hand before I get into any meeting another way which is really cool and 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 this is I think this is a to me this was mind-blowing I do not remember the name of the book I'm sorry to say uh, but Richard Branson among his many books uh, did write a leadership book and so given the question you ask think about what I'm about to say the leadership book as I recall is like 330 pages long. The first section of the book, 125 pages out of a 330-page book, and the numbers are pretty correct, 125 pages, first section of the book has a one-word title, listening. Mm. 
And mm-hmm. as he says, listening is the key to everything. And there's some one-liner in there somewhere where he says there are eight key variables associated with effective leadership that we pay attention to at Virgin. And the basis for six of the eight is effectiveness at listening. So you can get damn serious about mm-hmm. this. I mean, another little thing is is uh, Branson is famous for his note taking. You know, he whether he's talking to you know talking to the plumber or whether he's talking to the CEO of the XYZ company, he apparently has in his study or next door to his main office, uh, he's got an entire room that is filled with 400 or 500 notebooks that he is you know that he's filled with part of it apparently is because he's very dyslexic and he needs to write this stuff down uh but it's fascinating and i was thinking about that you know the best way to make you a hero and i remember this with a press interview i did is to take notes and you know what does it mean when i'm talking to you and you're taking notes it's it what it says de facto tom what you're saying is so Mm. incredibly important that i have to write it down it's also a great way to listen because back to what you said initially about framing the next question while I'm listening to you, you can't frame the next question if you're sitting there, you know, with a little with a little laptop device or in Branson's case with a pen and a little paper notebook. So, uh, you know, you, you can obsess on it. You can make it central. I mean, my my favorite one liner uh, in the whole in that whole arena actually comes from a former U.S. Secretary of State by the name of Dean Rusk. And his one-liner is, the best way to persuade someone is with your ears. And boy, do I buy that. Nice. I've, I've, uh, I was trying not to think of the next question as you were talking. I was trying to listen there, but you talked a little bit. About... <laughs> you talked How did you do? Uh, I think I did okay. The, the question it's I had damn, in mind changed a couple of times. But your point is well taken. It's damned hard. Yeah, it certainly is. It really is. is damned hard because, you know, the fact that you're in a leadership position or do it and you guys all have been or both have been and so on is, you know, you're you're working on that next retort and you want mm. it to be snappy and all sorts of things, which are absolutely, you know, in in Susan Cain's book, which I adore, which is another part of this story called Quiet, where she says, for God's sakes, pay about 100 times more attention than we do than we do to introverts, uh, you know, she has wonderful one-liners. Like, if the person's not talking, guess what? They may actually be thinking, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, which is correct. We we ought to talk about that book, but we'll get on to your next question. <laughs> I'm here for you. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, so you you told us some good uh, leadership traits there, especially around listening. What are some of the um, the bad leadership uh, advice that you've heard or that that people are preaching? Huh. Uh, well, and I don't know who I'm going to get in trouble with. <laughs> um, they're not listening. And, and, yeah, they're not listening. Um, look, I write a chapter on leadership in the book, and it has, you know, it pretty much requires a Stanford or an MIT degree to understand it. <laughs> Because the it, it is called Some Stuff, and that's the complete title, as I recall. And what I say is I promise you that in the next 50 pages or whatever the heck that chapter was, 
you will find no authenticity, you will find no transformation, you will find no disruption, you will find no, you sure as hell will find no vision, you will find stuff you can do. And so, to me, leadership is a moment-to-moment thing, and it's not about grandiosity. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not being silly. I, I have no problem with knowing where the heck you are heading or where you think you're heading or so on. But it's, if I want you to think about leadership, I want you to think about it in terms of my favorite MBWA managing about by wandering around. I want you to think about it in terms of the former CEO of Campbell Soup who sent out 30,000 handwritten thank you notes in the course of 10 years. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about stuff like that. I want to talk to you about Dove Froman's book called Leadership the Hard Way, in which he says you must, as a leader, keep 50% of your time unscheduled. Almost impossible, but you know this guy was bizarrely successful, and we ought to listen. So bad leadership advice to me is, is leadership advice that is abstract. And good leadership, and it's what I say in the book, is I said, look, let me tell you what I think about this chapter. All this stuff works. Try two or three of the things, and if they work for you, do more of them. And if they don't, it's fine with me. But leadership is a moment-to-moment practical set of actions. It's it, we we try to make it too damn sexy. Mm. Awesome. And we made a little. We'll make a little bit of a segue into your new book now, the excellent dividend. Can you start by telling us about is that? A dog I heard in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. That's very. What kind? Uh, a toy cavoodle. Okay. Just, my, my wife and I just bought a uh, a, a a little Australian shepherd. Oh, nice! And yeah. you know, if we were doing this on video, I would you know flick through and show you the pictures, and you would die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who doesn't die with about a seven year old, seven week old puppy, right? It's, it's Maybe that's a test. <laughs> no, no, I'm not kidding. Uh, Harvey McKay, who wrote a book, several books. One of them was called Swimming with the Sharks or something. He was the CEO of a big envelope company in Minnesota, but you know, in a way, back to our, our first comment, his last test, he was in Minneapolis where the Major League Baseball team, the Minneapolis Twins are, and his last test of a prospective new hire was he took him to a baseball game. And he said, I want to I wanna see each of the Adams or one of the Adams or the Tom or whoever it is, I want to see them when they're kind of, interacting in the real world mm. you know how do, how do they do with a peanut vendor are they polite or all are they rude and and uh, and mm. and i ju- i just think that's great and that comes yeah. back to that being a nice person as you say just always yeah not well, listen, a, you not guys answer me a question you answer me a question because i was doing an interview and i got into it uh i contend and i think it's infinitely important in a leadership position i contend with no scientific evidence uh i guess there probably is and maybe it goes back to stuff like the listening thing i contend that there are people who like people and get off on people and people who don't particularly like people or and don't get off on people and it's perfectly fine for me if you're talking about a lab scientist but in any leadership position people got to Get off on people. Is that an okay phrase? I think that's, you, that's you, Would you agree? <laughs> I'd have to agree. Yeah. It's pretty common sense. And don't you like. think each of the three of us, and of course me because I'm 200 years old, but don't, <laughs> don't you think that if each of the three of us 
talked to 20 people, no, six people <laughs> in the next hour and a half. And the question was, is Adam one a people person? Is Adam two a people person? Is Tom a people person? I bet you that on a scale of 10 that we would give about, each of us would give about the same score. You know, if I said this guy is a seven, you might say it's a six or a five, but, but we wouldn't have a situation where one of the Adams would say two and Tom would say nine. Yeah. I think we know these things. Definitely. I nice. hope that's the case. Maybe if you ask my ex-girlfriend, it might be something <laughs> different, but. <laughs> yeah, well, we can ask your ex-girlfriend and my ex-wife and we'll see how that works out. <laughs> so um, I'm keen to hear a little bit about your new book, The Excellence Dividend. So can you tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book and, and what kind of problem it, it solves for people? Well, in a way, that's what we've been talking about. The, uh, you know, the, the, the thesis is that new technology, artificial intelligence in particular, not next week, not next year. There was actually an OECD report yesterday, which contradicted an Oxford report that was famous from a couple of years ago, but five or 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or Oxford said as much as 50% of white collar jobs are under assault. And in the early days, it was the back office work at the insurance company. Now it's the lawyers and the doctors. Whatever it is, there's going to be upheaval. And the question is, in this new world, how do you differentiate yourself? And my argument, it might sound retro, but I sure don't think it is, is a lot of the stuff I've been talking about, like people first, which was a good idea is now an imperative idea. I believe, and I'm not alone, that the only way, only is a big word, the most significant way we can differentiate ourselves is to be more human, not less human, because it's going to be a little tough for the Google programmers to, in fact, emulate the kinds of human touches that make you fall in love with a company. I mean, there's a story I tell. Uh, I mentioned the hiring practices at uh, Southwest Airlines. So I was on a South, I'll make it as quick as I can. I was on a Southwest Airlines flight uh, from Albany, New York to Washington, D.C. Uh, we were waiting at the gate. The last, the earlier flight was late. The pilots were late, as is the case in nine out of 10 instances. There were probably six wheelchairs lined up at the, at the head end of the jetway. The pilot, who is late and under stress, uh, comes toward the gate area and he turns and looks at the woman in the first wheelchair and says, may I escort you down the jetway? Now, I've been on 9,000 flight legs approximately. I have never, ever, 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 ever seen a pilot wheel a customer, a, uh, a guest, whatever you want to call him, down the jetway. And to me, that's a differentiating factor. And it's a great differentiating factor in 2018 as it was in the past. And so a lot of my argument is I want us to be more human, not less human. Uh, I want us to pay more attention to design. The, uh, the guy who runs Nest, Tony Fidel, has this wonderful quote. He says, this would get you booted out of, of business schools. But he said, when I put together a device and the device is attached to your wall with a screw – 
I don't want a screw. I want an epic screw. I want a memorable screw. I want a wonderful screw. And, and it's, I think those differentiators will continue to make the difference. There's another piece of that story, which sounds like a digression. I, I think it's anything, but uh, the management guru class, and God, do I hate that term, <laughs> but the management guru class has almost exclusively, and I am really putting myself at the top of the bad guy list, has <laughs> almost exclusively focused on the Fortune 500 and the FTSE 100 type companies. And the real reality is 80% of Americans, 80% of Brits, 80% of Frenchmen, 80% of South Africans work for small and middle-sized enterprises. And so one of the things I'm trying to say here is let's talk about the SMEs and the only damn thing FTSE 100 companies and Fortune 500 companies do for a living is to, in fact, get rid of jobs. Boy, is that unfair, mm -hmm. but it's not that unfair. Who the hell creates the jobs, which becomes twice as important in the face of technology change? And the answer is the SME. 80% of us work for SMEs. And what I really want to focus, and these things, the people first stuff and so on, really can make a, a, a gigantic, humongous difference in a 50-person company or a 40-person company or a 100-person company. And, and I, am, I, I want it at the top of everybody's agenda, including my own. But it's, it, it's, it's uh, yeah, I mean, the, def or the title of the book is Excellence Dividend. And the point is, you know, which at some level takes me back 35 years to In Search of Excellence, is excellence in design, in the attitude of our people, Excellence is the best differentiator in 2018, and I would argue in 2028. I don't know what the hell happens in 2038. Mm -hmm. I'm not, you know, somebody asked me a question. You know, it wasn't a book interview. It was a book interview. They said, well, Tom, what do you think about what's going to happen in 50 years? And my response was exactly what you should say on a prominent talk show. I said, I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, and it's not just because I'm 200 years old and will be dead. It's because the most important thing that we have to do is make it through today, make it through tomorrow, make it through the next five years relative to developing our employees, indeed giving them skills that we hope will be good, very good for them over the next 10 years. But I'm not worried, and I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about any age. I'm not worried about what happens 15 years from now. Mm. Nice. So as you, as you say, the, the, you know, the tech tide is, is here. It's coming. It's, as we get more and more tech, we still have to remember that it's still important to focus on being human and, and people and stuff. One, one thing I, I really liked uh, when you talk about innovation, whoever tries the most stuff wins, whoever screws up the most stuff wins. So I think it's applicable to companies big and, and small and individuals as well. I completely agree. I mean, I, I call it, I, I will never be able to get the letters down. <laughs> whoever tries the most stuff and screws the most stuff up the fastest wins. And I require guys like you and me to remember the letters, like WTTMSAF2D. Uh, <laughs> I think you do it, Kevin. Hey, why not? Uh, the, you, know, you know what I said about it in the book, and I've said it before, is I have a pretty good science-based training. For every hypothesis, there is an equal and opposite hypothesis with one exception, and this is it. Whoever tries the most stuff wins. And the problem with it, 
is the same problem that exists. And, you know, we've been talking about it now for several minutes is to have an organization that lives, whoever tries the most stuff wins, duh, you have to have a culture that honors playfulness. Mm-hmm. Michael Schrag, who's an MIT Media Lab professor, actually wrote an entire book a few years ago that was called Serious Play. And playfulness doesn't mean sloppy. It doesn't mean it, it means you just get off on trying something. Uh, and, and, it, and it becomes, as I said, an, an entire culture of the organization. And it's also a problem. And I think it's the same problem. It always find me a school system anywhere in the world where kids are not primarily punished for screw ups. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this this terrific one liner in the book that comes from a very successful Sydney, Australia uh, businessman. And he says the six most important words in my bit behind my business success are reward, excellent failures punish mediocre successes. It's interesting that Michael Bloomberg said the same thing at one point. He said, if somebody really makes an exciting screw up from which we learn something, promote them. The best failure mm. gets promoted at some level. And Bezos said the same thing. Bezos said, if you want to survive in today's world, right near the center of things is celebrating failures. And again, you know, there's a, there's a way to to do dopey stuff, which, you know, you get questions like this. I get questions. Well, you don't want a sloppy person. You don't want to reward somebody who comes to work late. No, you know what an excellent failure is. And I know what an excellent failure, somebody who puts their heart and their soul into something. And this isn't quite the right moment and it doesn't work, but oh my God, we learn a million things. Yeah. Phenomenal. And um, we're getting toward the end now, Tom. So we'd love to know what is the the one thing I guess an individual can do or the highest leverage action to best prepare for some of the disruption that's on the horizon or even just be a better leader themselves? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two answers. Two's okay. Uh, I was at a private dinner and one of the people who was there was not Warren Buffett but was a really, really big deal investment banker. I don't think you'd know his name but you sure as heck would know the company that he's... It's, it's one of the quiet investment banking companies. Anyway... In the middle of dinner, I don't know what the heck we were talking about. He turned to me and he said, well, what do you think the number one failing is of, of CEOs? And being a natural born smart ass, I said, well, I can think of 50 problems, but I'm not sure that I can single one out. And when he gave me his answer, you know, it was, it was a good example of that. You could have knocked me over with a feather. He said they don't read enough. And so I really believe nice. – For the 22-year-old who just graduated from MIT last June and for the 52-year-old who is the CEO of a big company and for everybody in between, we have to become students. Uh, You know, it's so fascinating to me because, as I said, I love this SME stuff. We had a problem with a compressor in our refrigerator at home. And a guy who runs a little five-person repair shop came out. He was probably 45 years old. And this ties both things together that we were talking about earlier, too. Probably 45 years old. And we get to chatting because I do that. And he said, well, I just got back on my own nickel from a two-week software training course to learn more about the Internet of Things. And I loved it. 
that a guy in a small company who's not making a jillion dollars, who's 45 years old, knows that the most important thing he has to do for his future and his kids' future and for his employees' future is to be a student. Mm is to be a student. And, you know, it's much cooler when it comes from a six-person local repair appliance repair company than when you hear such crap from GE or something like that. So the reading, the learning, the studenthood for life, regardless of the job, is number one. And then number two, which is always my favorite, uh, you know, for its metaphorical value as much as its absolute value, is this thing my In Search of Excellence co-author and I, Bob, Bob Woodard, my co-author, and I learned – Years ago at Hewlett-Packard, the HP way, MBWA, or managing by wandering around. It's just getting out and chatting. And this ties into our listening discussion that we had earlier. It ties into the people-first discussion. It's just hanging out and figure, finding out what's going on and you know, staying as far away from the office as you possibly can. And I must say, and if we had 20 minutes, I would really go off on it. <laughs> some form of MBWA is at least as important in the age of pocket held devices and screens and the Internet as it ever was. Fantastic. If I've got an important sale opportunity and that opportunity is in Thailand, I know that I can have conversations with them using one of a million devices my secret to success is get on the damn plane, fly to mm -hmm. Thailand, and have a face-to-face -face meeting with you. And the odds of making that sale go up by an order of magnitude. Fantastic. And the way I say it to people is, is look, this is so important. I'm sorry. Pay for it out of your personal money if you have to. But it's mm. the way that you ice the $2 billion jet engine sale for Pratt & Whitney to Emirates as well as stuff that's much smaller. Nice. Hands on. I love it. Well, we're, uh, we're coming up on time here and we've got so many more questions, but you, we love that you said, you know, always being a student, always being a leader, reading more. Um, as we finish up, we always like to ask, you know, what are some of either your favorite books, either early in your career or now, or what are some that to get people started, what should everyone be reading? Um, what, yeah, what are some other books that you, you can recommend? Well, I, I will tell you a story that doesn't answer your question, but it directly <laughs> does. Well, I am, I am arrogant enough to think that for the first 25 years of my career, I may have been one-eighth of a step ahead of the herd. Mm -hmm. uh, and about two or three years ago, I kind of woke, out, woke up out of a sleep and said, holy shit, I can't even see the tail end of the herd. <laughs> and you know, it had to do with, with AI, big data, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know the terminology and the content better than I do. And I de facto, not quite de jure, but I de facto took a year off and read. And I read my way into big data, AI, IoT, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I read everything I could get my hands on. And the way I like to describe my success is I ain't at the front of the line, but I can now have an intelligent conversation with darn near anybody, including a tech leader. So relative to the new technologies, if you're not a techie, and techies get all the news, but the reality is 90% of jobs and people are not techies. Read your way into it. Uh, and, you know, I don't particularly have a favor. I, you know, you, 
you know, if you buy my book, you will, you know, one of the things we got a wonderful review from Publishers Weekly. And I mean, obviously they have a, you know, they have a, they have an interest in books, but they said one of our favorite things about the excellence dividend is at the every, at the end of every chapter, there is a reading list. And, you know, my answer is buy the book and read the reading list. Uh, <laughs> I did mention earlier, and I will say one thing because I, I love to tout it whenever I get a chance. There were two books. Actually, the Financial Times had me do a double review of them a year or so ago. Each of them has a one word title. One of them is this book by Susan Cain that's called Quiet. And she says, pay attention to the introverts. Half of us are introverts. And all the damned, and I'm guilty. What I said in my discussion of the book in public, or I mean in my book and in speeches, is Susan Cain made me feel like a total jackass. <laughs> and for that, I am willing to give her the highest honors. Uh, all the research says, I think you're smarter if you're a loud mouth and talk fast. Because mm -hmm. I think that is an indicator of a high mm -hmm. IQ. And the reality is that's total bullshit. You're not dumber because of that, but you sure as hell aren't smarter. And introverts, and the really cool thing, which gets back to our listening thing, introverts, the research seems to say pretty decisively, are better leaders. And they're better leaders because leadership is about people management, and people management is much more about listening than it is about talking. So I love that one. And then the other one worder, which came out at the same time, which slapped conventional wisdom in the face, is written by a guy by the name of Frank Partnoy, and the one word title is Wait, as in W-A-I-T. Uh, and he says, you know, going back to Darwinianism and evolution, the essence of being human is the ability to slow down and think before you act. And that is a message, in my opinion, which should in 2018, where everybody instinctively says speed, speed, speed. My one-liner is, or two-liner, whatever it is, developing people is about patience in 2018, the same way as it was in 1918, developing relationships from which sales and great people evolve is about taking time and listening to people and paying attention to people. So at some significant level, speed is a snare and a delusion. Yes, the word's moving fast. Yes, you've got to be experimenting at the speed of light, which we talked about. But basically, it's about people. It's about listening. It's about relationships. And those things are antithetical to the speed high, which we are trying to sell these days. It's total crap. It's fantastic. Some great recommendations. Um, where can people find more about you and your books and, and the brand new book, The Excellence Dividend? Uh, there are a million people who are selling books. I'm with my publisher. We are not pushing any particular seller. I will a little bit. I have a personal bias toward independent booksellers. Mm -hmm. But we hope as of today, the 3rd of April, that Every bookseller on earth electronically or physically has got the books in stock relative to what I personally have done over the years. Uh, TomPeters.com is a pretty good place to visit. Uh, every presentation that I have made for the last 15 years, except for one to the NSA, uh, is a, and there was nothing secret in it. They're just <laughs> they're <laughs> things about it. Uh, I mean, they should be. Uh, but at any rate, every presentation I've given everywhere in the world over the last 20 years is available there. And uh, 
my goal in life as it is, of course, with books is to have people steal me blind. Uh, you know, there's no greater tribute than, uh, than somebody taking your ideas. So, uh, you know, between every electronic and physical bookseller and TomPeters.com, uh, you'll get a lot more of me than you're bargained for. <laughs> Fantastic, Tom. Thanks so much. Uh, love the chat. Love the books. And uh, yeah, all the, all the best with the excellence dividend. Thanks very much. And I will say the same thing in return to you guys. Good luck with all of your many ventures. Ah, thanks. Yes, thank you very much. We have been working on a document for a while and it's our top 50 books of all time. And it's ready. That's it. You can grab our top 50 books where we've ranked our favorite and most impactful books that we've read so far. And, you know, a bit of a spiel on each one. And you can grab a copy for yourself whilst you're in there. And it's a phenomenal document, I reckon. Most of the books we haven't uh, reviewed yet. So I reckon your reading list will be popped up by a few after reading that one. Exactly, man. We won't give away uh, too many spoilers, but there's some absolute juggernauts in that top 50, as you would expect. Head to to whatyouwillearn.com slash top 50. And you can download that uh, that report of the top 50 books of all time. 2018 version. All free. 